Hi, I'm Elena Becker, and this is PS, the Puget Sound Podcast, where we're talking to members of our community about their Puget Sound experiences. Today, our guest is Rachel Sugar, an alum in the class of 2016 who lives in Denver, Colorado. I should mention from the outset of this episode that we spend a good chunk of our conversation talking about Rachel's work with survivors of domestic violence. It's important work, and the conversation mostly centered around legal and legislative issues. But if this is a topic that's especially hard or sensitive for you, you might want to skip this episode. Rachel, thank you for joining us and joining us all the way from Denver. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Elena. Well, we are just delighted to have you. And um, I think maybe the best way for us to start off is just, will you talk a little bit about the things that matter to you in your life right now, whether that's your work, whether that's where you're living, if it's something that you're doing entirely out of either of those contexts. Just, I think it would be great if we, if we kick off getting some color for who you are and what you care about and what's a part of your life. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, I currently live in Denver where it is a whopping 88 degrees right now. What? Um, I know. And last week it was snowing. So right now (laughs) weather is a lot of what I'm thinking about (laughs) Um, and enjoying the sunshine now. Um, And I'm working now as a domestic violence legal advocate in the court system in Colorado. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about gender-based violence, thinking about legal issues. And as I'm sure you're aware with all of the laws that are being passed in the South, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about that as well. I'm also going back home to Albuquerque tomorrow for a close friend's wedding. So that's a much more fun thing that I'm thinking about as well. Yeah, that is indeed a broad spectrum of <laughs> sure things is. that are on your mind. I wonder if you could uh, describe in a little more detail what your your work is like. And it sounds like a lot of the things that you're thinking about connect to your, your job and your profession in some way. Just describe a little bit what you do when you go to work. Yeah, absolutely. So I work as, like I said, my official title is a domestic violence legal advocate. And what that means is that I am a contractor between a nonprofit organization that's focused on gender-based violence, homelessness, and child abuse, um, and we contract with a county court. So I am located at a courthouse assisting folks who have experienced domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, or human trafficking through a few different types of legal processes like civil protection orders, divorce and custody cases, as well as safety planning and some more general case management around resources, housing, food security, things like that. So when you go to work, what percentage of your, what is a day in the life like? Are you mostly in an office at the courthouse? Are you mostly in court at the courthouse? Yeah, good question. So our office operates on a walk-in basis. So there really is no typical day. It's kind of at the whim of who's coming in the door this morning, this afternoon. I do spend a lot of time in hearings with people um, who I have an ongoing relationship with, as well as screening people to see if they're a good fit for our program, helping really whoever walks in the door. And is this type of work something that you envisioned yourself doing from some point in the past? Did you 
sort of find your way to it because you cared about the outlying issues? How, how did you get where you are? Yeah, I, when I graduated college, I knew that I wanted to work in social services. Mm -hmm. I knew that I cared a lot about sexual assault and about gender-based violence more broadly, but had no real intention of making that my career path. Um, However, after graduating college, I worked for a summer in teaching. I was doing like reading and literacy teaching with kiddos and found out that I really did not want to work with kids <laughs> um, and was looking for something else that addressed some of the areas that I was passionate about and really luckily fell into the gender based violence prevention and crisis management world and discovered that that was a way I really liked working with people and have been doing it ever since. And where were you doing that kind of work? Yeah. So after I graduated college, I stayed in Tacoma, which was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, I initially worked for the Crystal Judson Family Justice Center, which is in downtown Tacoma. I worked there for about six months. And then the grant that funded my position was not renewed. Mm -hmm. And I bounced on over to the YWCA Pierce County, also in Tacoma, where I was for about two years. And was that work substantively different from what you're doing now in Colorado? It's very similar. Really, the only differences are what the laws look like in Mm -hmm. Washington versus Colorado, which are more different than one would imagine. (laughs) Well, and I was actually going to ask a little bit about that anyway, because one of the things you said at the outset that you've been thinking about is all of the legislation that's being passed right now um, around gender and gender right and opportunity in Mm -hmm. especially Southern states. And so I wonder if you can speak a little bit to how you saw the differences in legislation between Washington and Colorado substantively impact people's lives. Absolutely. I think when I was moving to Colorado, I imagined that they'd be pretty similar, right? They're both pretty solidly blue states. Um, Especially in Denver. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Colorado is sometimes kind of referred to as a purplish state. And I think that is true in certain ways. And I think where I see that the most in my work is there's a certain libertarian streak in Colorado that's very hands off. We don't really want to get involved in families' lives, mm-hmm. in dictating what that looks like. Right. And I think that that means, especially for the divorce and custody types of proceedings, there are fewer opportunities in certain ways to cope with emergent situations mm-hmm. around. I'm fearful that the person who has abused me is going to take off with my children and they need to take some sort of action now. I felt like Washington had a lot of pretty solid measures in place on how to deal with that. And I find in Colorado, there are a lot fewer um, kind of predetermined, pre-thought out steps for that. There are other things that maybe Colorado is doing better. They have the option for a permanent protection order that lasts forever and ever, whereas in Washington, at least as of last year when I was working there, 
typically folks would have protection orders granted for a year and then need to come back to court Hmm. to extend or renew the process. Can you just give some examples maybe of how that sort of attitude in Colorado and maybe some of the legislation that spins out from it um, plays out in real world situations? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that with a lot of clients that I work with, um, children and finances are really used as tactics of power and control, Mm -hmm. which ultimately is what abuse is all about. And so if through a divorce process, someone is taking away all of the money from your bank accounts, locking you out of your bank accounts, picking up the kids at school and not returning them, there are fewer or more slow moving ways to address that in Colorado, which I think in turn makes a lot of people more fearful to leave abusive situations, to go Mm. through the divorce process, because there aren't necessarily avenues that in real time address emergencies or crises. And do you you feel like there is political capital or maybe trade wins would be a good word for doing work around those issues and those questions, either legislatively or practically? Yeah, definitely. I, our organization is situated in a place where we have a really intimate relationship with the district attorney's mm. office in the county that we're located in, which means that we're doing a lot of working collaboratively with people who prosecute prosecute, excuse me, domestic violence cases. We're working pretty closely with law enforcement around their how they respond when a, they get a domestic violence call. And so I think one thing that is really wonderful about being situated where we are is that those working relationships, at least in an ideal sense, um, are really impacting the services, the wraparound services and interactions with the legal system and with the criminal justice system that survivors have. And it sounds like you are able to create true partnerships with those other agencies also. Absolutely. And I think sometimes those are really difficult conversations and sometimes they're really exciting and fruitful conversations. And I, I feel very fortunate that given my privilege and my position that I'm able to really engage in those discussions to hopefully increase the voices and advocate for and with survivors. The other thing, Rachel, I want to ask you about is yeah. you have, I think what to to most, if not all people is obviously an important and meaningful and impactful job. You oh, know, well, thank you. You're, you're quite welcome. Uh, I also would imagine it's a heavy job, right? Even some of the conversations we're having now um, are are weighty and emotionally loaded. Absolutely, yeah. How how do you deal with that? How do you handle going to work and coming home and feeling feeling the both the value and importance of your work, but also the weight of it? Absolutely. I think when I first started doing this work, there were a lot of days where I was crying in the bathroom or going home and just sitting kind of numb and not really able to engage with things. I think for me in the past few years that I've been doing this work, self-care has really gone 
beyond like taking a bubble bath and putting on a face mask right. and has really become like a constant daily practice of for me a lot of compartmentalizing this is what I think about at work and maybe tonight I don't think about that maybe tonight I can't really do emotional labor with a friend or with a partner right. maybe being outside is really important right now and I just need to take a break and Sorry, there's a motorcycle going by. I'm not sure if that. Um, Th- that's okay. Yeah. You are live action in Denver. Woohoo! It's the the sights and sounds of Denver, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that self care has become a really comprehensive strategy, and I think kind of an unfortunate reality too is over time you just become desensitized in certain right. ways to things, and in a way that feels troubling and then another way that feels like just kind of the reality of the situation and as long as I can be present with my clients and maintain empathy that feels like if that's the cost that's okay. Ever wonder what repelling, a research symposium, and different types of moss have in common? I'm Tori Henson, Assistant Director of Admission and Transfer Admission Coordinator at Puget Sound, and you can go to pugetsound.edu stories to find out the answer. As you continue to think about these issues and continue to work with clients and work with different constituencies, does this feel like work that you want to continue doing? How do you see yourself going forward from this place? Well, funny you should mention that. Um, this fall, I'm planning on moving back up to the Seattle-Tacoma area. Area. Excellent. To, yes, I'm very excited to come back home um, and attend law school at Seattle University. And that is really with the intention of being able to do this work on a larger scale and be a more effective advocate for and with survivors. We see a lot of folks who really desperately need attorney representation Mm -hmm. who either can't afford it or don't know how to access it. And my, my hope is that through hopefully becoming an attorney, I'll be able to provide that in a more comprehensive way, as well as advocate on larger policy levels as well. Sure. And I I imagine because you spent a lot of time in courtrooms in your job now that you have kind of a unique understanding of what it means to be an attorney and what it means to practice law. I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How when you think about what that looks like for you, do you think about, I guess, what kind of position does that feel like for you? Does that feel like um, doing pro bono work in addition to something else? Does it feel like doing prosecutorial work? Does it feel like something that you will figure out once you're in law school? <laughs> yeah, I think um, I intend to stay open to lots of possibilities. And just like with undergrad, I'm sure that things will change in certain ways and I'll be pulled in new and exciting directions. But my hope is to work in a similar type of agency to what I'm doing now, someplace like a domestic violence agency, and mm. something like the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, the ACLU, sure. something like that, that really is focused on litigating cases that directly impact marginalized groups. 
Rachel, did you start out in college thinking that law might be an end goal? Absolutely not. No. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what did you think you were going to do when you first came to college? Do you remember? Oh, yes. I remember (laughs) I had every intention of becoming a PhD psychologist and I wanted to work (laughs) with kiddos. And uh, what happened? Yeah. Well, I was a psychology major at UPS. And while that provided a lot of really good learning opportunities and it was a really interesting and engaging major, I, one, really did not want to be a researcher Mm. and I didn't particularly want to work with people exclusively in a one-on-one clinical environment. Mm. I think social context felt really important to me, political context felt really important to me, and I wanted to do something a lot broader than what psychology kind of has the capacity to focus on. Sure. And one of the things that I think about a lot when I think about the value of a liberal arts experience or a liberal arts degree is is kind of what you're describing, but is the opportunity to test drive things so you can be getting a degree that has relevance to your interest and allows you to academically engage with the types of questions that get you to sit up straight and then Mm -hmm. be doing internships or research projects or jobs that sort of help you narrow down what do I like and not like about the different ways that I can apply this. Absolutely. I think for me, I also, I minored in Latin American studies and religion, which was a lot more (laughs) looking at those cultural, societal, political factors. And that was so exciting for me. And I think that those aspects of my Puget Sound experience combined with all of those other extracurriculars that you mentioned really helped inform what type of difference I wanted to make and how I wanted to participate in helping people and being in a helping profession. And how did you find your way to Latin American studies and religion? Yeah, it really started kind of late for me in college. I had studied French in high school, took a French class in college, and kind of decided I was done with that. Mm. And then as I was kind of thinking about study abroad, I anticipated going to an English-speaking country Hmm. because I didn't really have any substantive language skills. And a program that was a traveling program throughout Central America in Guatemala and Nicaragua and Costa Rica just really grabbed my attention. And I just couldn't stop reading and rereading the course descriptions (laughs) and looking on Google Images of all of these places that they had never heard of. And I found myself a few months later in Guatemala and learning Spanish and learning about the political history of that area. And that kind of, that study abroad program fulfilled almost all of the classes for a minor. Mm. I took a couple more. I went to Cuba through Puget Sound as well. That's right. Before and just anybody could go to Cuba back in the day. Yeah. back Way back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that just became an interest of mine that I never anticipated right. happening. What about religion? Was that a similar pathway? Yeah, that started a little bit earlier. My One of my freshman seminars was an Islam in America course. Hmm. 
And that just really engaged me in ways I had never really been engaged with before. I grew up as a Jewish kid in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where there weren't a lot of Jewish kids. Um, And so I think thinking about religion as an aspect of culture and identity was something that I was maybe a bit predisposed to and then really enjoyed exploring that in all sorts of different forms. And I think the religion department had a lot of really exciting course offerings and a lot of really charismatic professors. And I just found myself each semester kind of feeling drawn to those courses. And I actually think that is in some ways a pretty universal experience at Puget Sound that you kind of take one class in a department because it sounds interesting and then you find out you're so interested in it or you like the professor so much or you like the department so much that you just don't stop. Absolutely. Yeah, that was definitely my experience. And I think I could have probably indefinitely stayed at Puget Sound and done that with countless departments. Yeah. I know that is uh, one of the hardest parts of my job, actually, is I'm in such close proximity to it, and yet I don't get to go to class every day. Yeah, uh, and that, absolutely. That would be a tempting thing to just make a little detour into a classroom. Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> I think about it wistfully every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about is I noticed earlier when you said that you were coming back to Seattle University for law school, you said you were coming home. You grew yes. up in Albuquerque. You now live in Colorado. What is it about your time in Tacoma or your life in Tacoma that makes coming back coming home? Absolutely. Yeah, I find myself kind of unconsciously saying that all the time. (laughs) And I think it's a combination of factors. I met a lot of my closest friends at Puget Sound. I really love and grew to just really fall in love with the geography. Growing up in Albuquerque, there was no water, there was no green, and Washington has both of those things in such abundance. And I, I think I never got over taking an evening walk by the sound and just yeah. kind of the immense beauty of that. Hmm. I also am so grateful that I stayed in Tacoma for a couple of years after graduating and really got to know the community in a really different way. And I think Tacoma has so much character and such lovely people and a lot of fun stuff to do. And I am so excited to be coming back. Well, we uh, are delighted to have you back in the Pacific Northwest (laughs) in just a couple of months. Yay. Rachel, we are wrapping up all our conversations by asking guests the same four questions. Are you ready? Okay. I've given it some thought, Elena, as a regular listener. Of oh the my podcast. goodness. You have no idea how happy it made me to hear you say that. Um, okay. Well, then you know that my first question for you is what is the best place on campus? Yes. And I think. I've thought about this a lot, and I think a few other people have mentioned this place as well, so I know I won't be the first, but that I think nameless, beautiful area of woods between uh, Wyatt and Thompson Harnett, Mm -hmm. one of the science buildings that I never went into, (laughs) just was so beautiful, and I remember just every morning going walking through it on my way to either get coffee or go to class and the way that 
the light screams through the trees, I'd always have a bit of a, wow, I'm really here Hmm. moment. (laughs) And that just felt pretty priceless. And right now it's actually the end of the semester. So you will remember that at the end of the spring semester, the advanced sculpture class does installation pieces across campus. Yes. And so there is some pop-up sculpture uh, in that little glen of trees right now that adds to some of the mystery. Oh, that sounds so exciting. Question number two, Rachel, is what are you reading right now? So right now I am doing just some purely recreational reading. Good. And I'm reading Big Little Lies, which you may know is now a big HBO show with a huge amount of celebrities. (laughs) And I am just loving it. I think I just needed some kind of fun reading. And this is really doing that for me. (laughs) Also in the self-care vein. Exactly. What is the best place to eat in Tacoma, do you think? Oof, that is a tough question. That This is the question I've agonized about the most. <laughs> and I have two answers. Excellent. One is Sulk Thai in, um, in Tacoma, of course. And I, growing up, I never really ate Thai food and Silk Thai was the first, one of the very first places I went to when I moved to Tacoma to start at Puget Sound. And I tried Pad Siu for the very first time. And I don't know if it's actually the best Pad Siu, but it's my favorite Pad Siu. And every time I come back to Tacoma, that is the very first place I like to go. <laughs> and what I really like to follow that up with, a very short walk away, is the famous ice cream social. Oh, that's a and great pick. I could just really eat that as much as anyone would allow me to. <laughs> and will you describe for folks who don't know, I, I think it's clear it's an ice cream place, but yes, a, uh, add the second level of why it's so great, please. Oh, I gladly will. Um, <laughs> it has a lot of exciting, fun flavors. I think they have things sometimes like Earl Grey or some vegan ice creams with a coconut base, which is fun. And I personally have my tried and true favorite combination of Valhalla coffee Mm. and strawberry, which I think is just really delicious. And their ice cream is so smooth and creamy and they tend to be very generous scoopers, which I'm always happy about. (laughs) And Rachel, finally, what makes Puget Sound special? Yeah, I think there's so much that makes it special and so much that makes me fall in love with it all the time. But And I know this is a pretty common answer, but the community, both Mm. at Puget Sound, the institution, and in the Puget Sound region Mm. is so special and so charismatic and diverse and full of just a lot of vibrancy. And I know for me, I really grew into who I am today, largely because of that. And I'm just so in love with the area. The campus is beautiful. The Tacoma is just a stunning place to be. And I I think people really love it. And that is clear in Mm -hmm. the school and the area, which is just really exciting. Rachel Sugar, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you also for doing your important work. 
Thank you, Alina. It's so good to talk to you. You too. Thank you to our guest and to you, the listener. You can follow Puget Sound on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. And we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. If you or someone you know has experienced or may be experiencing domestic violence or sexual assault, there are resources for you. The phone numbers for the National Domestic Violence Hotline, National Sexual Assault Hotline, and National Human Trafficking Hotline are included in the episode description. And all three are staffed and available 24-7. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of P.S. The Puget Sound Podcast.